this straightened out. Okay. How are we doing? Glad you're with us. If you're visiting, we're glad to have you. I am probably, if you remember Tyler, what he was saying, I'm probably one of those who leans more on the annoyingly perky side. Just so excited to be here. And uh, I'm like Buddy the Elf at Christmas, really. And uh, I can't... Uh, I can't get around that, so I'm just uh, always find it a joy to be together with God's people, and these things that we get to consider, the ways that we are invited to to move forward and grow, and all the goodness that God has in store for us. It's just right there, and it's exciting to think about all of that potential that we have in the Lord. So uh, we're glad to have you with us. I decided I'd take one more week before I jump back into our series in Acts to kind of build off some of what we were talking about these last couple weeks with uh, uh, purpose and vision and direction. Mike gave a, a good sermon last week, and so I just wanted to take one more week to kind of build on that, kind of keep that before our thoughts a little bit more as we uh, look forward to uh, this year and all this year will bring to us. So I proposed a couple goals for the church in 2020, and I invited you to reflect on personal goals that you would like to set for yourself, spiritual goals. And I think it's important because a lot of us have not been in the habit of being very intentional about our spiritual goals. We make goals for almost every area of our life, but when it comes to our relationship with God, uh, many of the, any kind of thought of effort in that regard kind of seems to go out the window. And so we approach our spiritual life a lot of times like uh, training for a marathon by playing video games and eating Big Macs. And then we wonder why the results are not like we would like. See, grace is not opposed to earning, or it's not opposed to effort, but it's opposed to earning. You can't earn things with grace. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying. We shouldn't be pushing forward and growing. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should know that, that the grace of God should increase our efforts and not stifle them. Because we receive grace, it's not an excuse to be complacent and not try to make any efforts in growing in our relationships with each other and with the Lord. In fact, I would argue that our spiritual efforts have greater impact and meaning, all because of what grace makes available to us. So I would define grace this way. Grace is everything that God does on our behalf that we can't do for ourselves. This is bigger than forgiveness. It's everything that we need God to do on our behalf that we are incapable of doing without Him. Uh, With this definition, therefore, a saint is always going to need way more grace than a sinner. A sinner thinks of grace in terms of forgiveness. I need forgiveness for this. I need redemption with this. I need forgiveness. And forgiveness is a part of grace, but grace is also a lot bigger than just forgiveness. We are all sinners and we all need forgiveness, but we need to want more than this. We need to want more than this. 
So I would say that a saint uses way more grace than a sinner because the way a saint, a disciple of Jesus, lives their life, we live in such a way that if Jesus Christ does not show up to help us, we're in trouble. If Jesus Christ does not show up in our lives, we're hung. That is the way that we live in faith. Living in faith will always require a whole lot of grace from God. We step out in faith to do good works. We step out in faith to accomplish the purposes of God. And grace is the way that God meets us in our steps of trust. If you're not taking steps of trust, you're not experiencing the grace that God has available to you. So a few of the congregational steps of trust that I proposed. 20 baptisms in 2020 thought we got to start somewhere. We had two baptisms in 2019. And as we're trying to grow into a church of intentionality in our discipleship, we should begin to experience the fruit of not just keeping the doors open and the lights on, but moving forward into the purposes of God and into bringing His kingdom to bear among us now. A growth of our care ministry, this is our uh, visitation and hospitality ministry. I would love us to get to a point where our relationships are so deep that we know the, the stuff of other, other people's lives. We're not just uh, smiles and handshakes on Sunday morning. We know the struggles. We know some of the history. We know the hopes, the desires, the dreams. We know where God has been at work. We know where life seems heavy. We're interceding for one another. We need to be knit together at a greater level. Prayer has to be an essential component of all of this. If we get nothing else right, but we learn to be a praying people, God is going to do amazing things among us. Uh, the need and ability to hire another minister, that is uh, something that we'll just trust the Lord with. But the, a lot of times our efforts and our programs benefit from people who are ever able to plug into uh, 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 these different ministries with all of their efforts full-time. And so there are, there are several key areas of potential growth that we have that could benefit, I believe, from uh, dedicated attention. And then uh, intentionality in our giving opportunities. We have faith that the Lord will provide what we need to continue to do His work to accomplish kingdom purposes. And then, uh, crucial to me, I would like everyone who is a part of this church to have some identifiable work that you are a part of, a way that you are involved and contributing. A lot of you are already there. There's room for a lot more of us to get there. So keep that in your thoughts. So uh, last Sunday afternoon, I baptized Branson Gilbert. So. We only need 19 more baptisms. I don't know where Branson is, but when you get a chance to encourage him, say a word, uh, he might not like all the attention, but it'll be good for him as well. So uh, when he shows up and surfaces again. So that's something he's been thinking about and wrestling with. So 19 more to go for 2020. So primary goals of the church, I believe need to come back to these things. 
to dearly love and delight in our Heavenly Father. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And to remove our automatic responses against the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God coming and breaking out among us. So I terms it, I, I explain it this way. What excuses do you have in place that keep you from fully loving God and fully participating in his mission and purposes? We all have things that are going to creep up and try to derail circumstances in life that are difficult to navigate, distractions that come our way. Think about what is keeping you from fully embracing Jesus Christ. What is keeping you from fully engaging and committing to the mission of God? There's a heart issue that needs to be worked out there. I boil things down to these two passages, Mark chapter 12, the greatest commandment, and then Matthew 28, the Great Commission. If you think about what we about at the Eugene Church of Christ, I would like us to get to a point where we know we're about loving God and we're about the mission of God. We're about the purpose of God and discipleship. We're about loving Father, Son, Holy Spirit with all, all that we got, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the baptisms, the teaching, the Jesus is with us. Those, those are the things that give us courage and help us overcome doubt. So we accomplish the purposes of God through a heart of love. And we try, when we try and make efforts to accomplish the purposes of God, it grows our love. Twofold thing there. Our heart of love for the Lord, it fuels mission. Engagement in mission fuels our love for the Lord. There's a synergy there that I don't want you to miss. So growing in love for God, growing in the mission of God, these are things that, that we need to keep constantly before us as goals that we have for this congregation. Uh, but you should also be considering personal spiritual goals that you want to set for yourself. Necessarily, this would include things like Bible study and prayer. And it doesn't matter if you set humble goals. I just keep saying and encouraging, do something rather than nothing. Do something rather than nothing. Some of us have got way too comfortable doing nothing for a very long time. It's time to do something rather than nothing. Remember Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the things that they devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Devoting themselves to those things helps us to accomplish the main goals of loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and being active in His mission, <clears throat> excuse me, to go make disciples. So we need to keep ourselves asking this question, what is your next step in your spiritual life and your relationship with the Lord? What does that look like?
You may have figured this out already. You may have this set. You may think about this a moment and then forget about it. You need to think about it some more than that. What's your next step in your spiritual walk? Do something rather than nothing. Don't despise humble goals. Trust God to do His work to show you something that you need. He will show you something that you need to grow in. If you ask Him about that and you listen, He will move you where you need to be going. But He doesn't do it for us. He invites us into a partnership together. So, this time of year, about 60% of Americans make some kind of resolution, or they did uh, at the beginning of this new year as we head into 2020. The most important ones that you can make, regular Bible study and regular times of prayer. So, Dr. John Plake may be the world's leading expert on Bible engagement and spiritual growth. And he has studied all the research on spiritual formation avail- uh, available through massive studies that have been done by, on, re- on, on uh, organizations like Willow Creek and Lifeway and every other major organization uh, that uh, takes Bible study seriously. And then recently as part of his work for the American Bible Society, he reviewed this comprehensive study of 600,000 church-going adults in the, uh, and church-going adults and Christian university students. And in a recent conversation, he told everyone that the, it boiled down all of this. And it, the, the thing that he summarized made the biggest difference uh, in a, person, a person's relationship with the Lord. It was an individual's relationship with the Bible as the most powerful predictor of his or her overall spiritual health. Do you have a Bible? Does it have dust on it? If you make that a regular part of your routine, if you make prayer a regular part of your life, fruit will come from that. As, church, uh, as a church and as individual members of it, God has given us everything we need to accomplish His purposes. So we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to doubt. We have everything we need to succeed in the mission of God. We have everything we need to grow into the heart of love for God. I like this verse uh, from uh, Peter. He says these words, God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a truly religious life through our knowledge of the one who called us to share in his own glory and goodness. In this way, he has given us the very great and precious gifts he promised so that by means of these gifts, you may escape from the destructive lust that is in the world and may come to share the divine nature. Share the divine nature. What kind of promise? Wow. Do your best to add goodness to your faith. To your goodness, add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. To your self-control, add endurance. To your endurance, add godliness. To your godliness, add Christian affection. And to your Christian affection, add love. 
These are qualities you need, and if you have them in abundance, they will make you active and effective. Active and effective in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. We have been given everything we need. So I hope that you can see as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a part of the church body, you have a role to play, you have work to do. Have you identified that work? Have you identified that role? You have steps of faith to take. What are you doing to grow your relationship with the Lord? So it's not just kicking back, lazy, lethargic, waiting for some divine whammy of grace to fall on us that's going to suddenly fix everything. That if God wants this this way, He's going to show up, He's going to take care. And when God shows up and does this, then I'll know that that's my cue to get a little more involved. Or maybe I can lift a finger now and... You see, Jesus, He desires more than to be your bread king. His death on the cross means a whole lot more than shaking out a few goodies from heaven for you. Jesus Christ wants to be more than your Santa Claus. He wants to be the Lord of your heart. He wants a relationship of love with you. So that's our part. And now I'm going to turn a corner and throw everyone off the bus with what I'm talking about because I'm going to talk about God's part. See, there's a lot that we can't do. Lord God, you know our needs. Lord God, you know our weaknesses. And Lord, I think a lot of times your silence disturbs us and it hurts us. And yet when I look at my own life, every time I feel isolated and alone, it's because I've moved away from you rather than you have moved away from me. Lord, a lot of times I'm blind to your activity and your works because I take so much of what you give me for granted. I have not cultivated thanksgiving from every good and perfect gift that you've given me. Holy Spirit, I cannot create, I cannot maintain, and I cannot contain the fire in my heart that you alone can bring. Lord, we need your fire. We ask you for fire in our hearts, Lord. We ask you for fire in our bones. Don't let our fire go out in this place, Lord. Teach us how to be strong and courageous. And the only reason that we can ask these things boldly of you, our God, because of your own goodness and because of what you accomplish for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. So I think of a story from Luke chapter 24. 
is the story of two disciples who lost their fire. Their fire had gone out, their fire had gone cold. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces were downcast. See, Luke 24 is a story where disciples of Jesus had lost their fire. Their hopes had been crushed. Everything that they hoped had happened had been taken from them. They stood with their faces downcast. Have you ever had a downcast face? What was going on in your soul that made that show on your face like that? Verse 21 says, We had hoped He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We thought He was the one who was going to be able to fix everything. And they took Him from us. Their dreams had been crushed. Their hopes were no more. Their fire was going out. A lot of times that's where God does his best work. A lot of times when it's unexpected, he shows up and he brings fire to us. So what causes your fire to go out? Maybe your fire's been cold a long time and you're trying to take steps to rekindle it. Maybe you don't realize how lukewarm you are in your faith. Maybe you're going from fire to greater fire. Praise God. What causes your fire to go out? A few things that I thought of. Daily life and drudgery, mundane things can become tedious, repetitive, things lose their meaning. The forms that we have before us have lost the heart behind them. Sometimes our fires are diminished by an experience of loss. As you get older, these experiences accumulate. Just getting older physically, the limitations of our body, loss of strength, loss of mental acuity, those things can be discouraging. I, I, don't, I mean, I'm not real old, but I'm no spring chicken. I'm somewhere in the middle. But I know when I get up in the morning and I start moving around, I don't move the same as I did 20 years ago. I would look at myself 20 years ago and say, What's wrong with that old man? <laughs> Distraction is huge. It's a huge thing. We are bombarded with advertisements, with information. We are trying to 
push things aside and our attention is just all over the board. It is a chief attack the enemy uses to extinguish your fire, to make you lose your focus on what's truly important and what truly matters. Shame can make you lose your fire. I'm a bad Christian. I'm just not a very good Christian. I I don't know if I can keep this up. I don't know if I can do this. I don't deserve this. That voice of shame can extinguish fire. The good news for you, brothers and sisters, the good news for me, is we don't have to stay lukewarm. The soil of your heart can change. Jesus is in the business of rekindling fires that have grown cold. He puts fire in our hearts when there should be nothing. But still it's there. And I can feel it. And you know what's amazing? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, not only is this your fire, but he invites you to go help bring other people's fires back to life. He invites each of us into that work of rekindling fire and hope. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us, were not our hearts burning within us? That's what Jesus does. He puts fire in our hearts. And he gives us hope. When hope shouldn't be there. So I would say a word to uh, some of our younger families. Fight for your place in all of this. As a young Christian, the challenges you face and the demands on your time and what this culture throws at you, it's overwhelming. A lot of you need two incomes to make ends meet. The demands of jobs the way they are now, they take our very best and they don't leave a lot left over. Some of us have kids with nap schedules and school schedules, friends we would love to see, family obligations, and we have to deal with sickness that seems to go around and around and around again. The enemy of your souls is not going to give this to you. You have to fight for your place in this. 
It's going to take creativity. It's going to take intentionality. But fight for your place in the Lord's church and don't give up. And we're going to learn how to help each other better in all of this. And if things are coming at your way sideways as your minister, I want you to share with me what's going on in your life. What's discouraging you? What are things that we're not doing that we could be doing that would help? I have an open door policy there. You share those things with me. A word to some of our senior members. Your church still needs you. Your church still loves you. I think the most underutilized parts of the church body are our young and our old. Some of you feel isolated. Some of you experienced, have experienced significant losses, loved ones who are with the Lord, who you still think about them every day. As you age, you're having to depend on other people in ways that you never thought you would that aren't necessarily comfortable. Even still, you have work to do in this church. Don't let your fire go out. Some of the freedoms that you're afforded with your time, it is amazing what the Lord can accomplish in prayer and Bible study. In a few faithful words of encouragement, your presence here means more than you know. I found this quote that I really liked. God is more concerned about the person I become than the circumstances I inhabit. We're all inhabiting circumstances that would, if we let them, they will separate you from God and from Christ Jesus. But how we are in those circumstances, Christ is with you in them, and that's your place to discover him. So don't give up hope. He will give you fire when you need fire. What are you becoming? If you just kept doing what you were currently doing in your life, what is the end result going to be of that? Fight to protect the fire in your hearts. In your worship, in your fellowship, in your Bible study, in your prayers, what you are doing is you are adding fuel to the fire. And pray to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit for the fire that He alone can give and bring to change all of those circumstances and bring them into the kingdom and under the rule and authority of your God. See, the enemies of your soul do not want your fire to burn brightly. Resist him, firm in your faith. Resist the distractions of this age. Resist your own difficult life circumstances. And rise up, 
rise up in the fire and the power and the passion of the Holy Spirit. Rise up. We have circumstances that truly do war against us and what we are trying to do here and what we are trying to accomplish. For the unity of this church, there are a lot of things that will distract us, that will tear us down, that will discourage us, that will crush our hope. So I have a friend who grew up in tough circumstances. He gave me permission to share some of this. He came to the Lord and even started training in ministry. But from his teenage years until today, he has struggled with homosexual attraction. And when his struggle became known to people in his home church, he was told, you don't belong here. And he was so hurt by this that he ran away from the church and he ran from the Lord and he fully embraced a homosexual lifestyle. But during those tumultuous years, Jesus kept after him. The beauty of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus, it drew his heart. And he started reading his Bible again. He started praying again. Eventually, he found a community of Jesus followers who didn't fear him and didn't shame him, but encouraged him and discipled him and taught him, and he drew, into the, and drew him into the life of the church. And as he pursued with the Lord, the Lord shared some things with him about his lifestyle and his attractions, that it wasn't something that the Bible allowed or the Lord desired, he concluded. And so by God's grace, he's lived for many years now, celibate, relying on Jesus for everything that he needs. He said one of the hardest things about this transition into a life of celibacy and embracing Jesus, Jesus fully was the ridicule heaped on him by the gay community. And they get angry, and he would say, they tell me that I have no choice, that this is just who you are. And I say, no, I do have a choice, and I choose Jesus. And they say, you've been brainwashed by fundamentalists. And he says, no, I just choose to trust in Jesus. And he said this to me, and it stuck with me. He said, every moment of sexual bliss I don't get to have all the ridicule, all the misunderstanding, all of the self-doubt, all of the anxiety, all of the depression, all of the loneliness I feel. I put it all at the feet of Jesus. And again and again and again, I get to look my Savior in the eye and say, Jesus Christ, you are worth it. He doesn't want to make a political statement. He doesn't want to be a poster child for some kind of agenda. He just wants Jesus more than anything else. He wants Jesus more than anything. The difficulty of circumstances, he, the things that he's had to go through, 
That's the way that we're invited to hunger and thirst for a relationship with our Lord. When I get to pray with him, I am humbled by the intimacy that he shares with the Holy Spirit. He has learned to listen to and rely on the Holy Spirit in ways that most Christians don't even imagine or think is possible. The enemies from within and from without, they keep themselves very busy telling us things like, we don't have a choice, or this is just the way it is, or is it really worth it? Or, I'm not sure if I even want this. Or, is this as good as it gets? Those voices come from someplace and they have an effect on us. The invitation of us, of all of us, is to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Some of you have noticed and asked me about this ring I wear. It's a red stone set in gold. And I got this ring from my great-grandfather. I wear it as my wedding band now. But it also matches a ring described by J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings and The Return of the King. I know I'm really letting my inner nerd shine at this point. But it's a ring called Naria, known as the Ring of Fire. It's an analogy for what I want my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ to be about. So one of the great elf lords, his name was Sirden, he gave the Ring of Fire to Mithrandir, who some of us know as Gandalf the Grey. And Siridan said to Gandalf, Take this ring, master, he said, for your labors will be heavy, but it will support you in the weariness that you have taken upon yourself, for this is the ring of fire, and with it you may rekindle hearts in a world that grows chill. This is our task as disciples of Jesus Christ. We have everything that we need to help be about rekindling hearts in a world that grows chill. So Lord, give us disciples with fire in their hearts and wings on their feet to help us become the church you desire us to be. Uh, Whatever your needs are this morning, uh, if you need the prayers of this church, if we can help you in some way, if you want to put the Lord on in baptism, uh, we give you an opportunity to do that as we stand and sing together.